Hey, did you get your ticket yet? Copy Chief Live, October 9th and 10th, right here in St. Pete. St. Pete, Florida, man. So cool. You'll be steps from the Dolly Museum, minutes from the beach, and soaking up all the wisdom of the best of the best in the industry. John Carlton, Paris Lampropolis, Joe Schrieffer, Henry Bingaman, Todd Brown, Marcella Allison, all the people you love from this podcast, here for you live, interacting, networking, sharing their best stuff. If you're a freelancer, you've got to be at this thing just for the networking. All the big wigs from all the big publishers here to find the next great copywriters they need to know about. Don't miss out. Copychief.live. Copychief.live. Get your tickets. The price goes up every two weeks. Don't slack and pay more than you have to. I'll see you there. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome back to the Truth About Marketing. It's Kev Rogers here. My guest today is John Romanello. I'm excited for this one. John's a New York Times bestselling author of Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha. It's a really good book. And there's a fascinating case study on how John strategically landed a seven-figure deal in his first book that never happens, and how he made his way into Arnold Schwarzenegger's world. Arnold wrote the foreword to the book, and John is, as you probably know, a fitness guy on his website, romanfitness.com. I'm sorry, romanfitnesssystems.com. He promises to either uh, get you huge or make you hot. He's a self-professed nerd, sought-after speaker. But he's also, and why I wanted to have Roman on the show today, a damn good writer. He's also very passionate about his writing. So today we're going to dive into his writing style, some of his tactics, and get a glimpse of the methods behind his madness. John, welcome, and thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin, and thank you for that overly kind introduction. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, it all came from your website. I'm just kidding, man. So we have some friends in common. I know you consider uh, Craig Ballantyne a mentor. Indeed, I do. Great man, among other people. What do you, and I know that you've mentored many people, when it comes to mentors, what is, what's your number one final choice in, in seeking out a mentor? <clears throat> I don't, I, I've been very lucky. I've never had to seek a mentor. They've, they've more fallen into my lap, which I find is sort of the, the true Campbellian way. I mean, you know, Luke wasn't looking for Obi-Wan. He just appeared. And I, and I do sort of hold true to the maxim that when the student is ready, the master will appear. So I, I don't know that I could give any advice that would be actionable in terms of seeking a mentor. But I do think that if you find someone with whom you connect and you find someone that has a lot to offer, if you if you make your intentions known and you, you are um, a person of of consequence and, and you seek to add value to that person's life, then that relationship can develop sort of organically. Yeah, no doubt about it. What about if, so you're saying your mentor relationships are typically more organic than a, somebody has a program. Let me check this out and decide if I want to sort of hire this person as a coach. I mean, I think that there's a real difference between a coach and a mentor, right? Mm -hmm. A coach is someone who is guiding you in a very specific way down a particular path, you know, whether it's fitness or business or marketing or writing, and there, there is an exchange of, of goods for services, right? You are paying them to teach you very specific things. And that can develop into a mentor relationship. But I tend to think of mentorship 
as something that takes place outside of a direct coaching relationship or Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, on the back end of it. Mentors are are very rarely um, people who contribute only to one area of your life. And in general, I find that there are people who have a lot to offer you in in a lot of different areas. So Craig, although I hired him as a mastermind coach and he taught me a lot about marketing, you know, just watching him in terms of how he, he addressed his business and, you know, while I learned a lot about marketing and copywriting from Craig, I also learned a ton about networking and connecting and building affiliate relationships and adding value. And of course, you know, just just I learned a lot about being a successful entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. there were things that I learned completely apart from what I signed up to learn. And I think that's the hallmark of mentorship. I like that. That's great. Let's talk about writing a little bit. I know you're passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, when, when yes. You, you're working on your second book. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I, I made the uh, ridiculous decision. I'm currently working on three books at once, which I do not recommend for normal people. But yes. That is, that is crazy. Because Man 2.0 was 2013? 2013. It's been a while. Yeah, it's time for my sophomore attempt. Yeah, yeah. Does that add a lot of pressure for you? Um, I, I, yes and no. I mean, I think that when you have a book as successful as Alpha was, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, we got a seven-figure book deal. We debuted on the New York Times bestseller list. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, it, it was just, uh, we sold a lot of copies. It, it is it is sort of um, incumbent upon you to have a follow-up that is as successful, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of times, you know, there's, there's an old maxim in boxing, never throw one punch without another coming behind it. And I think that there was some sort of, uh, there was a misstep on my part by not having an idea for another book ready to go after Alpha. But the fact that I've waited so long, at this point, no longer it creates a lot of pressure. Instead, it creates a lot of opportunity. The thing with Alpha is it was very, very much a fitness book, and obviously that's where that's where I got my start. But you know, the difference between me in 2013 and 2017 is that in 2013 I was kind of done with the fitness industry, and in 2017 I'm very much done with it. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that distance <clears throat> in terms of time separation between the book in 2013 and now is it allows me a little bit more space. I don't feel as obligated to include anything fitness related in the new books. Interesting. Interesting. So what will, what will be the shift in focus? The big one that I'm working on, uh, what I would call book number one out of the three, is uh, I'm taking Joseph Campbell's model of the hero's journey and applying it to personal development. So it'll touch a little bit on business, but it is primarily a book about self-edification. It, it, it uses mythology and philosophy as sort of the, the bulk work for it. So I, I think that it's very much a book about self-discovery and, and self-directed growth. And, uh, you know, I, I touched on Campbell a lot in, in Alpha. It provided the structure for the, the fitness transformation. But this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. I've been writing about Campbell since I was about 20 years old. I, I think it's a book that uh, will help a lot of people outside of fitness. Right. That's interesting. Now, do you, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a marketer, uh, does it concern you to almost, I don't say turn your back, right? But it, decidedly leave the the thing that, that that brought you to the dance essentially so that's part one of the question and part two is are there uh, who's guiding this is it your decision that look i've kind of said all i need to about fitness or is it like my my truest followers the people i'm making the most impact on are asking me for more than just fitness i mean i think it's a combination of both i don't i don't particularly feel any hesitation. I don't, I would never say I'm turning my back on fit. I'll never be done with fitness. Fitness has given me everything. It gave me the confidence. It helped me build a body. It, it allowed me to build a business. It, it created the, the sort of mainstay that has been a guidepost in my life for many, many years now. 
But as you mentioned, I have said pretty much all I need to say. You know, I've written eight ebooks, a best selling book, you know, uh, several hundred articles, God knows how many thousands of Facebook posts. I. There are people in the fitness industry. The one I like to name in this instance is Brett Contreras. Brett is, um, you know, he's uh, been in the industry as long as I have, maybe a little longer. And every day, Brett gets up and he reads research papers on fitness. On, on, you know, he's super excited to do that, and he has a research review. Brett is a guy who should still be writing about fitness. I read research papers only to sort of support my confirmation bias and, and tell me that I'm right about things I already believed. You know, the stuff that I, I do works. I, I get great results for my Gen Pop clients and for the actors I work with. But I'm not excited to learn anything new. And I think that once that happens, you have a responsibility to that ind industry to take a step back, right? Because it is only the people who are still excited about it, who wake up excited to read research paper, excited to find new training methodologies. Those are the people that should be at the forefront of that industry. And it would be I would be doing a disservice to everyone in the industry if I if I stayed at that cutting edge because I don't belong there. As to the second part of the question, I'm, 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 I'm writing for the people who need the information. Uh, I think that there are, there, there is a big contingent within my fan base that is, is hungry for this type of information. But at the same time, I'm very well aware that it's going to be a miss <clears throat> for the people who follow me for fitness. But I'm hoping that it, it sort of is an opening salvo for a lot of people who don't know about me yet. Yeah, that's exciting. Really interesting. Let's talk about when you're sitting down to write, Roman, because that's when it's like it's you. It's the are you a paper guy, keyboard guy. Uh, I like to outline everything by hand. I really I'm a big fan of notebooks. What probably my biggest sort of uh, deficit is that I have absolutely terrible handwriting, which means that it is almost uncomfortable for me to write in, in, by hand. But it does force me to to think a little more clearly. I think that there's something neurological that happens when you touch pen to paper as opposed to fingers to keys. Yeah. So I like to outline everything by hand and, and I always have a notebook with me in case I get inspired to write. And from there, you know, you transfer it to the, to the keyboard and allow you to flesh it out a little bit more effectively. Yeah. Can you remember like the first time you wrote something in your life that got an emotional reaction from the person who read it? Yeah, I, I started writing when I was eight years old, and then when I was nine, I got my first poem published in a literary magazine, a children's literary magazine, and um, I just remember at the time people being very impressed with it and that making me feel good, so I had a lot of that sort of positive feedback early on. I've always been a voracious reader, and so when I was eight, I told my mother that I wanted to write a book when I grew up, and she asked why, and I said, because books make me happy, and I want to make other people happy too. And then, yeah, so so from from the from the outset for me, you know, I was a writer before I was anything else. Interesting. And so when you're writing, you know those moments where, like, sometimes it's like you know you have to force something out, right? Like, say you've committed to a new blog post a week or something, right? you know, and you've written tons of articles for major publications. There's those moments uh, which is more of a mechanical writing, and then there's those moments when it's just really good to you, right? When when it's really good to you, what are what are you feeling? What like what what place is that coming from? Oh, I have no idea where it comes from. I just I know what it tickles. I mean, you know, there's something, you know. I think that you know, I come from like the Hemingway school of writing, and I'm I'm very much fall into that category of people who like to categorize themselves as as tortured geniuses. So for me, writing is is either the easiest or the hardest thing in the world, depending on the day or the hour or the minute. <clears throat> there are times when you know, it flows like water and it's very easy. And, um, 
you know, there are times when it, it is it is pulling teeth and, and, you know, every word that you manage to, to pull out of yourself comes out covered in blood. So, you know, to, to, for me to be that type of writer means that writing is some my writing is something that I both love and loathe by turns and in equal measure. But when it's easy, when it's coming out like water, it is, you know, it's the most amazing feeling in the world. I, I would equate it to being an athlete who's in the zone. Mm-hmm. For whatever reasons, you know, everything that you you do just seems to work. And those those um, occurrences are valuable and rare. And for me, there, there's nothing that I wouldn't cancel. There's nothing that I wouldn't miss to try and get a few more minutes of that. You know, I've canceled dates. I've canceled appointments. I've canceled training sessions. I've canceled vacations because I seem to be in that zone and it's just too valuable to let it slip away. That's great. And do you keep a schedule regardless? Yeah, I mean, it'll depend, right? So I think that everyone, you know, so Craig, my, one of my mentors, you mentioned, Craig likes to talk about magic time. I, I do think that there is merit to, you know, when people, there are times of day where you feel more productive, right? I tend to be really productive from like 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. But, you know, I largely think that everyone's magic time is like the day before your deadline. So, you know, deadlines are they create the real magic. And for me, I just impose pretty harsh deadlines on myself for the things that I'm writing. And if I don't hit them, uh, there are consequences. Right. So it's got to it's got to get out one way or the other. But, you know, ideally, if you're not feeling it, you can go fuck today. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah, I can, but you know, there are ways that there are other things that you can do. So, you know, the, the thing about being both a writer and an entrepreneur is that I have to exist in those worlds sometimes concurrently, but also, most of the time it's alternately. Right. So on right. those days where I don't feel that I'm going to get any productive writing out, I do have the option to sort of engage in the tedium of running a business and, you know, doing the, you know, answering my email and doing the things oh, that yeah. need to get done to sort of keep the lights on. Yeah, totally. Can we talk a little bit about the the Campbell stuff? And yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That'd be never, great. Never talking about Campbell. Okay, cool. So talk about how you're using it as this journey. Like, where are we uh, starting from? Is there? Is there? I guess what I'm asking is, in your mind, who you're writing this book to? Is there a common place where they're beginning their journey? So I like to look at Campbell's hero's journey. Which is a you know for depending on which model using either a seven a seventeen step cycle or a twelve step cycle, and I I don't assume that anyone reading the book is at a common point. Instead, what I try to do in the book is teach people that this cycle is applicable to every major change in your life, and I apply it to you know starting a business and you know falling in love or having a child or going through divorce. And you always start in the same place, your ordinary world, right? And this is wherever you are right now. You know, so if you're a kid going off to college, your ordinary world is living at home with your parents. And then, you know, the call to adventure or the inciting event is getting accepted to the college of your choice. And then, you know, you have refusal of the call where you're sort of afraid to go. And then there's meeting with the mentor where you wind up, you know, having an advisor that that makes you feel comfortable to go. And then there's tests, allies and enemies where you have all these friends who are going through a similar experience. And and it doesn't matter whether it's going to college or getting a divorce or or starting a business. Every major life change is an inciting event and and sets off the cycle that you now need to go through. And what's what's really amazing to me is how instantly applicable this is to any type of big moment in your life. So the the five stages of grief 
are pretty much perfect analogs for the steps of the hero's journey, right? Your ordinary world is that you and this person that you love are both alive. And then the inciting event is they die. And then you go through the five stages of grief, which are denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance, and those all have analogs in the hero's journey. It's also applicable to the 12 steps of recovery, which again, you know, the inciting event is somebody forces you to go to rehab. Uh, And then there's refusal of the call, right? That's denial. The first step is denial. And then you have to accept that you have a problem. That's crossing the first threshold. So for me, it's not so much telling people that the moment you pick up your, this book, you're starting in any particular place. The first step for me is to teach people to recognize that at any given point, they are at a number of different steps in any number of different journeys. You know, each, each cycle in your life, uh, you, yeah, you think you go through major macro cycles, but you also go through these micro cycles for individual events. That's really interesting. It's how do you recognize it? Like let's say with love, because that's usually something less manufactured or, you know, you can't, you can't decide to fall in love today. You could be seeking love, but you meet somebody, you start to have these feelings. That's a cycle. Right. How do you recognize when, all right, this is real and maybe I can start to apply these steps or see around the corner a bit? Well, that's the thing. These steps are applicable whether or not it's real. Mm. The inciting event is meeting this person, right? And then whether or not that turns into this major relationship, the cycle will either be very large if it is and very small if it's not. Because either way, you know, that relationship with that person is going to follow those steps from crossing the first threshold, which could be that first date, to the ordeal, which might be, you know, your first sexual experience with them. And then when the relationship ends, that is that is crossing the final threshold. That's the return home when you return back to this person that you were before you met them. But with all of the experience and the knowledge gained from those experiences from having had that relationship. And that's when you're quote the, the master of two worlds, when you are able to reconcile the person you were with the person you've become. And it doesn't matter what that whether that relationship is six weeks or six years. You'll go through those phases. They'll last different lengths of time. So recognizing it is, is a matter of just sort of applying it, applying that that cycle to where you are in that relationship. But, you know, it's not a matter of like recognizing, being able to recognize true love from infatuation. That's that's not what I teach. Right. Gotcha. Really interesting. Because then, yeah, it might be, you know, it could be like, OK, now it's like maintaining a relationship, say, say after marriage, then say your first child comes along. And so are those the the macro cycles you yeah, talk about? So, yeah. And and those are, you know, each one of those events kicks off a new cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So you have your kid, your your ordinary world is that you're a married person and you don't have children and then the inciting event is somebody's pregnant. And now, you know, there's the meeting with the mentor, which is your, you know, who's your doctor in this case or you know, it, it, your mentor can sort of be this collaboration of every parent who's ever going to give you advice or whomever or your doctors and then crossing the first threshold is when you start to, you know, go, go through those stages of the different trimesters. Right. And each thing's change. And then the moment your child is born, that's, that sets off another macro cycle of now you're a parent. Right. Right. Gotcha. Really interesting. And so this is a, it's kind of a heavy concept when you're putting this across to people, like if you, do you start with a, almost like a focus group? Like, have you brought people through this individually? And, and does that sort of serve as the research for how to get this across in a book? Yeah. So for each stage, I take someone going through some change in their life. And, you know, we have an entrepreneur in there and there's someone going through divorce and someone becoming a father and, and sort of breaking down, you know, how, how that applies to this specific thing. Mm-hmm. 
And so we go through each stage of the journey and sort of break it down and then give an example. And so in, in writing the book, are you, you know, uh, how are you bringing somebody through the process? Is it like, you know, pure like teaching this to them or do you bring them through sort of like as a character? Both. I mean, you know, the first the first piece of it is teaching and helping them recognize. And then, you know, the, then there are sort of guiding questions which help sort of help them recognize where they are. Yeah, that's really interesting, man. And so you said that that's just one of the books. <laughs> so, yeah, that is one of the books. And then there are two others, which are um, a little more fun, I think. Well, I mean, I think it's all. Yeah. It's, all right. So let's go back to because, you know, books are um, obviously really important, but, you know, hard to build a whole business around a book. Like, what are the things you did? to, to really grow your audience. Like looking back, you, you had a really meteoric rise when you decided, started your blog. What was the, what are the things that had the biggest effect on building your audience? That, that's a difficult question to answer. I think in retrospect, I know the things that worked at the time, but I'm always hesitant to give this answer because I, I know that there are people listening to this podcast and are looking for something that could be instructive and something that they could, they could perhaps use to to rise similarly. So I will give all of these answers, you know, with the caveat that this is the stuff that worked in 2009, 2010, and, and it's not necessarily applicable seven years later. <clears throat> the first thing I did was, it's hard to say this without sounding like an asshole, but um, I'm just, I'm just a better writer than the majority of the industry. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I tell people that I'm a good writer, I, you know, I don't mean in the absolute sense. I'm, I, I personally think that for all the work I've done and all the, the, the progress I've made in, in the absolute sense, if you compare me to, you know, Hemingway, I'm fair to middling at best. But for the standard of the industry, which is, you know, we're not an industry of writers, I was able to stand out early on because I was so good, both as a writer, technically speaking, and as a storyteller. And that helped a lot. And, and part of that was never being afraid to talk about the things that other people didn't talk about. And I include sex in there. You know, if you, if you go to the homepage of my website, you know, it says we talk about superheroes, ice, ice cream and butt sex. So <laughs> like right there. But yeah, so I was just, you know, I, it was really interesting to me that in 2010, the online space was, you know, it was this nine billion dollar a year industry. And all of these people, you know, were talking about look good naked and helping you look great naked. But nobody wanted to talk about what happened after you were naked. Nobody wanted really? to talk like actually just fucking. And <laughs> and that was very interesting to me. So I, I just kind of came in and, and, you know, came out swinging talking about that stuff. And that that seemed to um, resonate with a lot of people and, and catch a lot of attention. And, you know, from there, I also just talked about things that were not at all related to fitness. One of my very first articles and one of the more popular ones was I, I wrote this article, this like fantasy article about uh, a battle with a spider in my shower. And, you know, what had happened was I I, I looked up in my shower and there was a spider dangling like three feet from my face, which is about 10,000 feet closer to my face than I ever want a spider. <laughs> And I, I sort of jumped back and I wound up cutting my my lower back on the nozzle of the of the shower. And so I just wrote this like 5,000 word story about me battling this spider in my shower. And it got passed around and people loved it. And it was, you know, just great. It was fun fantasy writing. And, you know, I wrote another 4,000 word piece about why Twilight is the worst book ever, et cetera. And writing about things that were not fitness related really got a lot of people to read my stuff more consistently. Right. And so, and then you're going by, you're going by instinct on most of this, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like a calculated effort to, no, oh, okay. I'm going to write about twilight to make people like me. Is that <laughs> right. I want to write about twilight. 
you know, the minute any of anything stops being fun for me, I stop doing it. So yeah. my goal is always to just make things fun. And if that means writing about Twilight, then I'm going to write about Twilight. Right. And, and so as a, I mean, is that a product of you live an interesting life because that's your instinct is to keep life fun, but you also feel, you mentioned Hemingway and, and, and I'm sure you're probably a, uh, a fan of Hunter S. Thompson, mm-hmm. people who lived extraordinarily adventurous lives. Do you feel an obligation to do that to fuel the writing? No, no, I don't think so. I, I feel an obligation to live an interesting life because I, I think that I only got one shot at it. Hmm. You know, writing about it is I don't know whether uh, I don't know which fuels which I don't know if my desire to write fuels my desire to do interesting things or if my if doing interesting things just gives me a lot of interesting subject matter. But, you know, I I just so so you wouldn't say, for instance, like, ah, you know, my writing doesn't feel inspired right now. I need some adventure in my life. I mean, yes, but it's less it's less mercenary than that. It's not quite as calculated. It's not. Because for me, writing is always the priority. And if I can't write, if I'm in a phase where I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't get words on paper, then I'm not going to sit around and just keep trying to do that. I'll go out and do something else. So it's not so much I can't write, so I'm going to do something adventurous to inspire my writing. It's I can't write, so i got to fill my time with something else. I may as well go on an adventure. Gotcha. So every time I've had a guest on this show, I ask them, hey – What's the one thing you've done in your marketing that's produced the most surprising results? I love that question and I love the answers we get. And I've taken now 10 of the best of those answers and assembled them in one convenient place just for you. You can get it for free at truthaboutmarketingshow.com. Truthaboutmarketingshow.com. What I love about these 10 is that they are really interesting and really actionable so these are things that you can take bing 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 get a light bulb and put it into your marketing and see results hopefully in the form of dollar bills uh, right away truth about marketing show.com it's waiting on you okay john i want to respect your time i really appreciate you doing this i'm going to ask you the essential question of the show now Sure. And that is, what is the one thing you've done in your marketing that produced the most surprising result? Oh, man, I don't know. Probably the most surprising result. Um, honestly, a lot of times I, I, I just like go the anti-marketing route. And, you know, for example, a couple months back, we did a, a 90-day fat loss challenge. You know, it's a coaching program, group coaching program. And in the marketing you know, I, I label it as a 90 day fat loss challenge. And then I specifically say the reason I'm calling it a 90 day fat loss challenge. And even though that's the same amount of time as 12 weeks or three months is that we've done the research and we find 90 days just converts better. So if you're interested in joining a program, that's going to help you lose fat in 12 weeks or three months or 90 days and converts well, you should join. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm, because like, I'm, I'm interested in calling that out. And yeah. you know, at times, you know, in older articles, I would have a link to a program I was promoting or, or a book or something on Amazon. And I would say, this is the link that gets me paid. And this is the link that doesn't get me paid. Hmm. I think you should buy it either way. So if you're a fucking asshole and you don't want to make money, <laughs> click the bottom link. If you, if you like me and you think I should get paid for doing all this fucking work, click the top link. And then I would track the clicks and it would be amazing how many assholes there are that don't want you to get paid. <laughs> but you know, I do think that calling that out, you know, people, cause people aren't stupid. They know how we make money. Yeah. 
think that like, you know, offering them that, that piece of respect, you know, works really well. Yeah, for sure. And you, you get feedback on that with people say, man, yeah, I mean, people yeah. enjoy that, you yeah. know, like, I don't know, you know, how much it's going to help anything, but you know, I enjoy it and I make enough money, so I'm fine. Right. It's in line with your style. Awesome. Right. John, all right, man, I promised you a half hour. I want to end it at a half hour, but you know, obviously we could go on and on. I think we just scratched the surface on a lot of this stuff, but I'm really excited for the next books. Certainly the Campbell one, any potential published date on that? I hope to finish it before I die. <laughs> all right. That's a good goal. Well, we'll keep watching you. And so RomanFitnessSystems.com, that's where to go get more from John. Follow him on Facebook. His posts are hilarious. Thanks a lot, John. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Kevin. Talk soon. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash TAM, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to uh, learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.